0: Hello and welcome to episode 357 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Ben Olson, that's Nathan Fox. Together we're the co-founders of LSATdemon.com and the Demon Daily Podcast. If you're listening to this today, Monday, July 2nd, 2022, be LSAT famous and get on the next show by emailing us today at help at We will get your email and we will record tomorrow. So we record every Tuesday. Today on the show, we got tons of emails. Thank you so much for writing in. Um, And that's really what we got. We just got a mailbag of questions and we tried to answer your questions as best we can. Um, From everything from a low diagnostic score to, you know, people trying to decide whether to change their career. guy who wants to walk away from
1: a $220,000 a year job. We had other people, you know, talking about going to non-ABA accredited schools. Oh, can you, uh, are there certain law schools where you can go to law school and then get to skip the bar exam? I mean, Yeah. It was just all over the place. So we kind of rapid fire a bunch of different topics today.
0: Yep. The next registration deadline for the LSAT is Tuesday, July 26th. That's for the September, 2022 LSAT. You can always find the dates at lsat.link forward slash dates. If you have not come to Nathan's free class, stop hearing me say that. And just come. It's every other Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. All you need is a demon-free account, which you can get at lsatdemon.com. You can find Nathan's next class, which is going to be Thursday, July 14th, at lsat.link forward slash Nathan. This one is Overcoming Test Anxiety. Do you have any teasers for us on that one? Oh,
1: just, yeah, ways of giving the test less power and, um, you know deciding that this thing is a fun, easy game. I mean, to be honest, by the time you're ready for it, it should be a fun, easy game. If it's not, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think you're ready for it. So yeah. uh, you know, ways to to stop letting the LSAT freak you out and uh realize, you know, that you should be gratefully uh enjoying a fun, easy game to play.
0: That's gratefully. on Thursday,
1: July fourteenth. Yeah, I think gratitude why'd you, why'd goes you, a long way, man. Yeah. For, for overcoming anxiety or for overcoming stress uh, in your life, just pretty mm-hmm. much generally, if you can just remember to be grateful for stuff, yeah. whatever it is, you know, I've never actually done it as like a practice. But, you know, there's people who write a gratitude journal every morning mm. or who, um, you know, sit and like think of one thing that they're grateful for that type of shit. Like, you know, and I mean, I'll just tell the quick anecdote now, but the, this, I share it in class pretty frequently. It's like, you know, what would my grandpa Herb say about if I was stressed out about the LSAT, what would grandpa Herb say about that? And yeah. Grandpa Herb like left nowhere, Oklahoma with a fourth grade education to ride a bus out to California. Yeah. Had $5 in his to his name. And he Mm -hmm. was coming out to California to literally look for agricultural work. Yeah. You know, (laughs) like and and here I am sitting in an air conditioned environment on a cushy seat to take a test that's two hours and 20 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. What would Herb (laughs) what would Herb say about that as he's like literally just picking peaches for 16 hours in the sun,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. you know? That type of shit can have a way of just diffusing all of the stress bomb. But we'll talk about that and other stuff on uh, Thursday, July 14th. Hope to see you there. Great. Uh, We're still looking for teachers, right? Yep. We uh, just hired one this week, but we're uh, always looking for auditions. Um, We're not going to hire everybody who applies. We need uh, your uh, 170-something LSAT official score report. We need a video of you teaching a game. Or a logical reasoning question, we're going to have you meet with Matt. If those things go well, we're going to have you meet with Matt to teach through a couple of random questions, which you should be able to do. If you're going to be an LSAT teacher, you need to be able to kind of think on your feet and just explain a couple random LSAT questions. And uh, we're going to hire the best because that's what our students deserve. You can email me if you're interested, Nathan at LSATDemon.com if you want to be hired as a, a teacher for us. Okay. Great. On to the show. You want to take this email from Jasmine? Sure. Says, hey, Ben and Nathan, I read that LSAC is willing to lend test takers extra time for issues like anxiety or ADHD with a letter from a physician. I was excited until I told my mom. She said she does not think I should apply for the additional time because schools may see it and not give my score the same weight as an applicant who got their score using the standard 35 minutes per section. Thoughts? Thanks for all you do, Jasmine T. Uh, it's a totally valid concern, um,
0: but it's not something to worry about. Oh, a long time ago, they did know whether or not you got accommodations, but they no longer know that. So whether you get accommodations or not, the schools will not know that unless you voluntarily disclose it. So that should not be a concern yeah. as you
1: make this decision. Yep. Um, I like how you, how you took that, Ben. I like how you said that's a totally valid concern, even though it's hundred percent not (laughs) an actual (laughs) concern on this test, but yeah, Yeah. that's, I like that. Um, Jedi mind tricks. I like that. Uh, (laughs) Well, I guess what I was thinking is it's, it's a little, it's, I was ready for,
0: I was like, what is, what is her mom going to say? Right. Sometimes people are like, oh, well, I don't think that that's you know, that's fair or something. I don't know. I was anticipating something and it's like, oh, actually, yeah, that could be a problem in some cases. It's not here, but yeah, legit question.
1: Yeah. You know, I will say, though, that um, students, applicants, they 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 look like they're they're like go out of their way to try to tell on themselves, though, with uh, accommodations. Mm. Yeah, because when you when you write your personal statement about, you know, um, learning differences, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> the else the, the law schools are not allowed to know that you got extra time on the LSAT. Yep. But if you tell them that you, you know, if you write your personal statement about your battle overcoming ADHD, they're going to infer that you got extra time on the LSAT. Yeah. Now, will they discriminate against you for that? I don't know. I have no idea. But they can't yeah. discriminate against you for that if they don't even know you got extra time on the LSAT. So yeah. I would take pains not to disclose accidentally. And I think there are questions, you know, we've speculated about this in the past, but there's law school applications that are like. Ask questions like, hey, you went your score went up by 10 points. What happened? Mm hmm. And I think that they're just, I think they must be fishing for, are you going to just disclose to us that you got extra time? Yeah. Because otherwise, why would they ask that question? It's a stupid question. Yeah. So I would, I would just be real careful not, not to accidentally tell on yourself. In fact, I mean, I, I taught in class the other day on uh, we were generating ideas for personal statement topics. And one dude in class wanted to write about overcoming bipolar disorder. Hmm. And I was like, well, but if you write about overcoming a, you know, psychological, whatever, different mental brain difference. They're going to just infer that you had extra time (laughs) and this guy didn't even get extra time. Mm. Yeah. So (laughs) it's like in that case, they're going to infer that your score, your totally your your 35 minute score is actually a 53 or a 70 minute score. Because you're writing about things that are adjacent to things that could get you accommodations. Yeah. So this is reason number. I don't know how many a lot. Why you should just focus on good things in your in your personal statement. Not these. Just don't don't even mention the obstacle. Like if you overcame the obstacle, then talk about what you did after the obstacle. Hmm. Yeah, don't I don't we don't even need to hear about the obstacle. (laughs) Let's just hear about all the shit you did. That was awesome. Because otherwise, you're defining yourself by the obstacle. Well, there's also
0: the challenge that so many people see an obstacle as an obstacle because it was an obstacle for them. But they don't realize that other people might not value that as much as they do. Yeah. They don't see it as an obstacle. So now you look like, wait, you, were, you overcame something? What would you overcome? And it's like small potatoes.
1: Yeah. And now you look bad. All right. Anyway, Jasmine, go ahead and get your extra time. You're totally um, you're totally going to get accommodated. You get a letter from a doctor. You, you can ask for 53 minutes. You can ask for 70 minutes. They're going to give you whatever you ask for pretty much. So think about it. Think carefully yeah. about what you ask for. We've had people complain before where they're like, well, I asked for 70 minutes and it's too much time. Yeah, it's a really long ass test. It is a, that's a long day um, if you get 70 minutes especially if it's 70 minutes that you don't even need. So yeah, go ahead and ask for your accommodations and schools will not know unless you voluntarily disclose it. You want to do this pearls versus turds? Let's do this. So this is where we take um,
0: some advice out there that people have heard and assess whether it's good or bad, whether it's a pearl or a turd. So far, the scoreboard is 17 pearls, 62 turds, and 24 ties. Uh, It's not looking good out there. Let's see what Scott has for us. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Here's some advice that I'm sure you'll think is bullshit. Okay, so Scott already thinks it's shit. You always say that reading dense material to practice for the reading comp section is a waste of time, and I mostly agree. If reading is a problem for you, then you just need to read more. One thing I did do, which, is, which actually seemed to help, was read books written in stream of consciousness. Cassandra by Christina Wolf. Is Krista. A great Krista, sorry, Krista. Anyways, by Krista Wolf is a great example. It's one unbroken chapter that jumps back and forth in time and takes place entirely in the mind of the narrator. This was good training for juggling multiple threads in real time. I obviously also practiced quite a bit of real test material, but I threw this into my daily routine to supplement it. Maybe it helped... But maybe it didn't. I went from a 171 to a 178, so it definitely didn't hurt. Anyway, thanks for doing what you do. But wait. The piece of advice is. Which one to read dense material or
1: to rec- re- read Cassandra? <laughs> yeah, I think just read stream of read stream of consciousness, I think is his tip. OK, but that's not
0: if that's his tip, then that's not the thing that he thinks is bullshit.
1: Yes. He he thinks it's not bullshit, but he's saying here's some advice that I'm sure you'll think is bullshit.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, got it. So he's anticipating our rejection of this idea. Yeah. Do you think it's bullshit? I would never be like, hey
1: <laughs> yeah. class. We got five minutes left. I want to talk to you about this book, Cassandra. That's a turd. It's a, but... Yeah. I'm up I'm updating the scoreboard. It's a turd. Um like, Hey, this works for you. Great. Fine. You like that book. Cool. I mean, it's a book you like to that extent. It's a pearl because any book recommendation where it's like a book you like, that's a pearl. We like that, but read books written in stream of consciousness. No, that's what you There's more LSAT work to be done. Just do actual LSAT book and then LSAT book, do LSAT book, <laughs> do LSAT work and find other books that you love. And that's fine. Read for pleasure. Absolutely. But don't read for pleasure slash also to try to improve your LSAT score. That's not reading for pleasure. Just do LSAT reading comprehension. There's 400 passages for you to work on. You don't need to do any of this other nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations, Scott, on going from 171 to 178. Ben, would you like to address his argument that he made there in the way that you would address it if this was LSAT logical reasoning? I'll start. I'll, I'll read the argument again. Sure. Yeah. Maybe it helped, but maybe it didn't. I went from 171 to 178, so it definitely didn't hurt. Well, it still might have. Um, I'm yeah, so glad you that you that. ended
0: with a 178, but you might have ended with a 179 or a 180. You also might have gotten to a 178 much faster had you not. Spent your time reading this book um it probably didn't hurt but to say it definitely didn't hurt
1: mm -mm. yeah we're talking to two lsat teachers our job is to say huh what (laughs) that's a strong conclusion based (laughs) on evidence that does not prove the conclusion there's room ben nicely found 179 180 and maybe you would have got to 178 with less time, less effort, less drama. It would have been easier. You know, you mm-hmm. wouldn't have had to fight with your girlfriend because <laughs> you were upset because you were reading some stream of consciousness book that was obnoxious. Yeah. I don't know. There's lots of reasons why this could have hurt you. And uh, so that argument is not good. But 178. So, you know, scoreboard. Scoreboard. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Way to go. <laughs> Still, that's a turd. If you have a pearl versus turd candidate, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at Thinking Elset. I'll read this next email from Sarah. The subject amusingly was book wreck and lies. Okay. Hey guys, the TED talk that Ben shared on today's episode reminded me of a book recommendation that I just received. I haven't read this yet, but it looks promising. The book is called Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay Attention and How to Think Deeply Again by Johan Hari. Have you read that book, Ben, by chance? Nope. No, nope, okay, so this is a book that Sarah hasn't read, I haven't read, Ben hasn't read, and still it gets a shout out on the <laughs> thinking else <that> podcast. <laughs> no one here knows whether it's good. Okay. I um, wrote that down. Yep. <laughs> so uh cool. Hey, any book. Books are good. Read books. Um okay. that's great. <laughs> and Sarah goes on and says, also, why do people lie? I will give short and long versions of the story below. Feel free to choose which, if any, to read. Um, yeah, short. Okay. Short story. Recent law grad claims that she did not have to submit all of her undergrad transcripts, which gave her a big boost in GPA. She says, quote, I applied to 10-ish law schools and none of them asked for my grades from my first school, exclamation point. So they all came through as P's instead of C's. Wink. (laughs) End quote. (laughs) Hope you both have a great day, Sarah. So Sarah's, you know, asking if this person, Sarah doesn't know for sure that this person is lying, but it does sure seem like this person is lying. It does seem like they're lying. I mean,
0: I could also see this complex system being imperfect and unable to detect all, you know, mischievous uh, submissions.
1: She also could be applying to non-ABA schools, right? Like we don't even know if she's using the Credential Assembly Service, or ABA schools that don't give a fuck, right? Well, yeah, They're but like, don't I would think LSAT gives a fuck though, right? Don't don't you have to? I would think. Oh sure. Yeah. Or hey, she could have just misrepresented herself on her Credential Assembly Service, right? Like, I don't have in, any other schools. That's everything. Yeah, I in Credential Thanks. Assembly Service—if you just don't list your first school that you ever went to. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't find out. But you know who might find out? Yeah, Mm. the character and fitness review. The state bar when they like have private investigators looking into you to see if you made any misrepresentations on your application for the bar or on your application for law school. I mean, they may not look that closely, but this is the kind of applicant
0: who might also end up... Raising red flags in other places that
1: would then lead them to investigate. Yeah, it sounds like the type of thing that could be complete bullshit. This could just be yeah. Internet lying, yep. which is rampant. Mm-hmm. It could also be somebody who, yeah, they might have lied to credential assembly service. Could be that they yeah, it could be that they're going to get away with it. Uh, could be not. And maybe if they're applying to non-ABA schools, they didn't even have to use LSAC. Mm -hmm. Didn't even have to use credential assembly service. But in that case, you know, you're applying to some really pretty bottom feeding law schools. And um, you better know what you're getting yourself into, because if it's if it's not an ABA school, then it's not going to. For one thing, it doesn't certify you to sit the bar at any other in any other state than the one you're studying in. For two, um, you're going to have to take the baby bar. Well, that's actually good for you because if you fail the baby bar and just fail out of school, then
0: you're done.
1: The school can only soak you for one year of tuition instead of three years of tuition. But anyway, don't know why people lie, Sarah. People do, though. It's weird.
0: Well, yeah, people. Well, what? They lie to get ahead, right? It's a shortcut.
1: Yeah. But like online, it's like lying to get likes, you know, lying to get clicks, lying to get some dopamine from from people from people following you on Instagram or whatever. It's gross.
0: Alrighty. Well, thanks for writing in Sarah. Um, we hope you have a good day too. All right. What's this next one? <laughs> it's just this anonymous. Is... Yep. Okay. Hello. I'm looking into applying for an online law school, Concord law school, which is not ABA accredited, but is accredited by the state bar of California. The pros are that it is significantly cheaper then an ABA accredited law school and I can start as soon as this fall. Comma. I wouldn't need to wait until next fall. I would love Ben Nathan's opinion
1: regarding this. I think it could be great. It could also be terrible. Um, <laughs> if you work at a law firm and that law firm is going to hire you after law school and they're like, yeah, you just need to get your JD so that you can start working for us as an attorney. And we don't care where you get where you get your JD. You just have to get your JD and pass the bar. Then, yeah, by all means, go to Concord Law School. Pay nothing relatively to go there. Uh, Get a JD that is not good anywhere besides California. You're going to have to take and pass the baby bar after your first year. But that's good for you. That's consumer protection. If you don't pass the baby bar, you should definitely give up. If you're like trying to go be a big shot attorney, though, then this is a terrible idea. Like if you if you think you're gonna just go out there and get yourself a big time job paying a hundred thousand dollars a year from Concord Law School, you're not. No. You're also limited to California for your life, right? I don't know how that works. I don't I don't know if bars after you've been barred in one state, maybe there's a way to get barred in there another state. There might be state. some reciprocity mm-hmm. states, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I think the thing for anonymous is you really just got to make sure you talk to lawyers and ask this same question to them, not us. I mean, it's not like, what do what do we think of Concord Law School? I mean, I I think it's probably shittier than the worst ABA schools. But it, it charges prices that are a lot closer to the value than the shittiest of ABA schools. Sure. Um, it's totally possible that if you're going to like, you know, network your way into a job in the public defender's office, I could see it working. Public defender's office, if you got a friend there, you know, if you, if you can, it, it, it might be possible to just go to Concord, pass the California bar. By the way, the California bar is hard, just so you know, like, I hope you're not doing this so that you don't have to take the LSAT. I also think it's dumb of you to do this just so that you can start this fall instead of next fall. Yeah, that's like you're you're start. So you're wanting to start your legal career in a pretty janky way. Unless you have it, like if you know what job you're going to go into, if and if you're talking to attorneys who are like, yeah, yeah, do it this way,
0: then do it that way.
1: I really doubt that's the case. I think that Uh, if anonymous knew all that,
0: then we wouldn't get this email.
1: Right. I've met one or two people in my entire you know life teaching LSAT. I've met one or two people where they were like, no, I'm a paralegal at this firm and they're going to hire me when I get out of law school. So it's perfectly fine for me to go to a California accredited school. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to have to be like sending resumes around. Like the fact that this says Concord law school on it doesn't matter because it's me. And they've told me that they want me to <laughs> come back. It's like, yeah, wow, they okay, well, they want me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The So, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's no, like, uh, on-campus interviewing, you know, the big, big law firms are not coming out to Concord law school to try to snap up the best and brightest. Um, I mean, that's not happening at the shitty ABA schools either. Nope. Just be careful. Know what you're getting yourself into. Absolutely. Next one's from Erica. It says, hi, I've started listening to this podcast around a month ago. And just by listening, I have been more motivated to study and learned so much about getting into law school, capitalized law school. <laughs> I just found out four months ago that I am graduating from my undergrad a year early with an overall GPA of 3.8 and the last two semesters I have gotten a 4.0. Excellent. My diagnostic was about a month ago with no studying at all. And that was a 137. I know I am still early in the learning process, but it is so hard not to get discouraged about some of my practice scores. Do you guys have any advice? Thanks, Erica. Absolutely.
0: Any problem you encounter, including the LSAT, can be broken down into smaller chunks. Just start by trying to get into the 140s. You're going you're gonna to be successful at this test if you can start making progress, um, even if that progress is small. Uh,
1: that's how you get motivated and get going. And even smaller than that. The way you get from 137 into the 140s is by understanding your mistakes. Don't ask us questions. I mean, thank you for writing in, Erica, but don't ask your teachers questions about your score. It's too, you're talking, it's too big picture. Yep. You, you need to ask questions that are about individual questions that you're missing. You missed a lot of questions to get a 137, a lot. I mean, you're you're understanding... You know, it's not like this is a score in the one twenties where you're understanding almost literally nothing a score in the one thirties and the high one thirties, especially you're, you were able to solve some of the questions, but not nearly enough of them. You're making too many casual mistakes. You, You need to slow down. I'm almost certain you're doing too many questions. You need to get paid more for the work you're doing. Slow down one question at a time. And then when you have an opportunity to talk to somebody like Ben Olson You need to be asking like, hey, this question right here, what is it? Why am I not getting it? I -hmm. I don't understand why the answer is B, not D. It really feels like it should be B to me. Explain this to me. Those are the questions that are going to actually move the needle. Any of this like worrying about your score or thinking about, am I going to be able to get to X score on X time frame, which is really common. Those things just don't they don't do anything. Yeah. It's not, you're not, you're not actually doing the work. You're, it's like statsturbation, right? Rather than like actually grappling with the work that needs to be done, which happens one question at a time.
0: Yep. Thanks for writing in. We have a streak leaderboard on the dashboard inside LSAT demon. And that streak leaderboard tells us which people have done at least one LSAT question Every day for the last 71 days. (laughs) That's the current high right now. We have what?
1: It's a five way tie at the top.
0: Five way tie at the top with Michael, Grant, George, Garrett and Colin.
1: Garrett gets a shout out for having a photograph of, I assume himself. Yeah. Colin (laughs) gets a shout out for having a movie promo poster from Legally Blonde. Yep. Yep. So good job, Garrett. And good job, Colin. Yeah. Hot on your heels, though, is Vin and Rebecca. They have dogs and there are 70 days. They're they're (laughs) going to catch you. Grant, George and Michael need to step up their game on uh, getting a picture into their profile. Yeah. You want to be at the top of the leaderboard? You got to have a picture. (laughs) Can you make that? Can can we do a feature (laughs) request? (laughs) Yeah. It's a requirement. No, 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 not a requirement. It's just oh, oh. that it uh, prefers people who do have a photo. Oh, I see what you're saying. So if you're tied, that's the tiebreaker. <laughs> yeah. them...
0: That's a good tiebreaker. Uh, equal otherwise. Yep, of course.
1: Okay. That's the great thing about making your own app. You can set your own rules. We do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Keep that's the tight. streak leaderboard update. Wow. 71 days in a lo- in a row. That's a lot of studying. Yeah. Nice work. People who do that make a lot of progress. So good job. Cool.
0: All right. This we got a from whole raft Sam. of
1: things from, yeah. that came in from the, from the new uh, website, thinkingelsat.com. We got a bunch of them. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So go for it. All right. Sam says, I'm getting ready to request LORs. That means letters of recommendation. And when doing so, I noticed that there is an option for the writers to submit more than one LOR. My question is, if one is hoping to get into a specific school, should one request that the writer does more than one letter and just edit the name of the school into a second draft? Or would that be doing too much? That would be totally pointless, dude. (laughs) Just changing the name. That would be very dumb. Yeah. Also, what's going on with the University of Montana's 509 report? I don't know. I've never looked at it. It seems that they only admitted three people, but gave over 5,000% of their students grants. (laughs) This gave me a chuckle as it seems like a very large, easy to spot error. Um, Let's see. Is that really what we got? Oh, yeah. Wow. Total number of students, three. Mm. Total receiving grants,
0: 165. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You're giving out money to people who don't even come to your school. Get your shit together. University of Montana, 509 report. It's weird because if you go back, there's more than one place where, oh, uh, wait, is this for, no, this is for the whole school, right? So the whole school only has 100, and, oh, we don't know how many people. First total in first year class
1: is 82. Yeah, we know that they they have 82 enrolled. By the way, just to give you guys, sometimes people aren't aware, right? I think that this is empowering or it should be empowering for law school applicants to realize The University of Montana, very middling law school, got 550 applications. They offered admission to exactly half of those, 225 people. And, you know, keep in mind that the majority of applications are complete shit from people who just took the LSAT once, did terribly, Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. terrible grades. I mean, you know, applying, they're applying 10 years in a row, trying to desperately get in and then like no way. I mean, so they're admitting still admitting 50%. And by the way, that's, oh, wait, sorry. It's not 50%. I did, I did the math wrong Uh, to be 275. If it was 50%, 40.1% acceptance rate still, you know, pretty generous given that the applications coming in can't be that good. But of that 225 that they admitted only 79% actually enrolled. So it's like, you know, they, only a third of the people who they admitted even liked them back. Yeah, that's a good sign. I think that that's a healthy market like that. That means that we've got lots of applicants out there applying to multiple schools, which they should be doing. If you apply only to one school, you're just begging to get a bad offer. And if you apply to multiple schools, then that allows you to look at, you know, if Montana didn't give you the right scholarship, you're just like, nah, never mind. Thank you for admitting mm-hmm. me. But no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the uh, grants and scholarships matrix down at the bottom there is broken. I hope that's not broken on the data that we use on the scholarship estimator, which I don't think it is that we probably have data coming from like the database side of the ABA 509 website, not from these PDFs.
0: Yeah, we should check the. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. We'll we'll check. By the way, if you're, if you never heard of our scholarship estimator before, go to lsatdemon.com slash scholarships. You can put in an LSAT and a GPA and calculate your chances of getting money at all uh, of the ABA accredited schools. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. Uh,
0: Okay. So we have an email here from anonymous. It says, I was speaking to one of the lawyers at the hospital I currently work in about law school, and he commented about some schools slash states allowing you to skip Taking the bar exam, if you were able to maintain a specific GPA throughout your tenure. Have you ever heard of this? Yes. No. (laughs) I have never heard of this. You can
1: can maintain a GPA and then skip the bar exam? Other states have gotten rid of the bar exam entirely. Oh, wow. Yeah. um, Like, I believe Wisconsin, this anonymous very likely might be writing from Wisconsin or a similar state hmm where it's like um yeah i'm i as i'm i think i i, I do believe it's wisconsin that okay. they just said if you go to wisconsin law school i don't think it's every law school but if you there's certain law schools that if you go to that school and you graduate like in good standing or whatever then there's just no bar exam for you mm. which that hmm. makes a hell of a lot of sense by the way What is the point of law school? What is the point of the ABA accrediting law schools? (laughs) If they're, if you're not like, why would we have the ability to go to an ABA accredited school, but then not be allowed to practice law? Makes no sense. That's a good question. I see, I see what you're talking about at
0: the university of Wisconsin, Madison law school. It's called diploma privilege. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Diploma, diploma privilege allows our graduates to secure a license to practice in Wisconsin without taking the exam, the bar exam. Wisconsin is one of the only states in the country that offers diploma
1: privilege. I don't know if that's true, but maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's a thing that people are advocating for, and I I, I do think it makes a hell of a lot of sense. It, it would force the law schools to do a better job on the front end of admitting people that are Qualified to practice law and it Mm -hmm. would force the american bar association to do a better job of actually like being a watchdog in accrediting schools and not just letting every school admit as many people as they want and then just letting them sort it out on the like crash and burn and fail the bar exam you know Mm -hmm. like if you're going to unaccredit schools because they have too low of a bar passage rate which they threaten to do and almost never do the aba Mm -hmm. but if that's your game well then why not just give diploma privilege? I guess it's the state bars, though, that have to decide. It's probably not an American Bar Association uh, decision to make. But I can see how a state bar would decide like, yeah, no, if you go to a good school or whatever, then we just don't need you to also pass a weird exam. hmm. I mean, as if that exam actually has any bearing on whether you're good at like going to be a good advocate for your clients. No weird memorization of rules and
0: that's what they're testing essays for practice areas. You're never gonna like <laughs> yeah. encounter
1: like you have to answer questions about wills and trusts, even though you're like never gonna do that kind of work at all. And it, the bar exam is dumb. I mean, the LSAT is a lot more sensible,
0: mm-hmm. has much broader application. Yeah. Uh,
1: all right. Anyway, um, thank you, anonymous. This next one's from Nick. Yeah, this is you. Hello, better Nathan. Not sure if this has been mentioned before on the show, but as I was doing my research on different schools, I noticed that most, if not all of the ABA accredited law schools that offer distance slash online education do not allow graduates to sit for the New York bar upon completion. Huh. Okay. Myself, working a full-time career, <laughs> was... Si- I don't think that's a good use of myself. Um. I, <laughs> yeah. working a full time career, was seriously considering applying for these programs. But now that I hear this, I'm a bit turned off as I don't want to limit my potential for where I may end up practicing law in the future. What are your thoughts on this? Do you believe the NY bar will change their guidelines in the future? Is it still worth it to go with one of these programs? Thanks. Well, so the little I know
0: about these programs is, one, there's not that many of them, and the ones that do exist still all require you to come in at least once a week or twice a week. Uh, You have to do a certain number of hours on campus, whether that's on the weekend or over the weekdays. It sounded to me like it's online, but kind of not really. So, And that was because of some ABA rule.
1: yeah. I would call the New York bar and ask them. I don't know. I don't know if this is even real. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I would start with that, figure out whether this is actually true or not. Call the New York bar and say, Hey, I'm thinking of this particular online JD. I, but I want the ability to sit the New York bar. Is this going to do it? No. Why? Oh, really? Do you think that'll ever change in the future? I would ask them the questions we can't, I can't speculate at all about what the New York bar will do. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I can speculate that I believe online education is <clears throat> better. Like I, I'll be shocked if it doesn't go that direction. I understand that there's a lot of people with big, you know, fancy offices on campus who want uh, their students to come worship at the altar of, uh you know, the Dean, <laughs> um, Mm -hmm. on campus but i don't think that that's a productive i don't think that that's a smart decision for the future i just know that like online lsat education is wildly more efficient than in-person lsat education was like our student achievement our student improvement it seems like it has doubled since covid yeah (laughs) i mean well it's like insane it's just way more efficient
0: yeah the uh Counter-argument to the online movement, I just heard on Freakonomics, did you hear it? They were interviewing the president, I think, of Brown, and she was saying that they had hoped or thought that they would be much more online at this point. But given the fact that their students seem to resist it, there is, I guess, a demand for that environment right like there is there is something being sold there about going and being well, with a bunch of other people in that's person the college experience you're 18. exactly yeah so i think there are differences right so with something very specialized she even mentioned this online seems to be way way better and that fits right into what we're doing right we're helping people with the lsat it's very targeted niche yeah and so that seems to be more effective whether so that's, that's true question, for then. law school right
1: like is, that, is law school more like the college you're experience? You're doing it for show, you're doing it for the campus experience, you're doing mm-hmm. it because of the parties and the dating and the peacocking around campus. <laughs> peacocking. Is, is, is that why we're doing it? <laughs> yeah. Or are we doing it because we're actually educating people? Yeah. Because if if you're just educating people, online is better. In 2022, online is better. I mean, not kindergartners. <laughs> don't no, don't conflate the issues. I've heard people be like, oh, no, online is not for me. My kid did my second grader just couldn't. It's like, yeah, OK, are you a, f- a fucking second grader or yeah. are you going to be reading a documents and figuring out what it says and doing things based on the words on the page? Because that's what lawyers do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like lawyers don't go. I don't know, like courts online now in a lot of cases. I know lawyers who are fully remote. They do all their meetings on Zoom. Why the fuck would they meet in person? Mm -hmm. It'd be a waste of very valuable time. Yep. Traveling there. Yeah. Is it for show or is it about actually getting work done? That's the question of in person versus online.
0: I don't think it's too crazy to say that it might be for show. I (laughs) I agree. There's a whole industry that is dedicated and I was a part of to train new attorneys because they can't do the work that the big firms need them to do yeah it's like what were we doing
1: for three years so if law schools don't go increasingly online they'll be they'll they'll, it'll we'll we'll know that yeah okay we see your game (laughs) okay thanks nick call the new york bar i don't know yeah
0: River. Okay, River writes, hey Ben and Nathan, I'm currently studying to take the August 2022 LSAT and improve on my most recent practice test scores of 171 so that I may apply to schools like Harvard, Yale, etc. in September. Thank you all for the amazing help, by the way. About six weeks ago, I, I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and just yesterday I had my thyroid removed. We are pretty confident that the surgery was a success. And that I am cancer-free. Wow. Great. Cool. I like hearing about this after all this is done. I don't want to sound rude or insensitive here, but is cancer something I should include in my applications? No. I don't see how it's a feather in your cap for why you'd be a great attorney. I do not intend to make a sob story or say things like, quote, I feel, feel bad for me. I had cancer but rather something along the lines of I was studying, applying and dealing with cancer all at the same time. Look how dedicated I am. Is that really the best
1: thing about you river? Like, is that your best foot forward? Do you want that to be your brand cancer girl? The, do you want that to, is that the thing you're going to hang your hat on? Yeah. Well, I, I had cancer and I applied, I studied f- for school in the Elsad, and, I applied anyway, even though I had cancer. Is cancer really the best thing about you? Is that what you're bringing to the table? Is the ability to to study and apply while dealing with cancer? Maybe it is. I mean, it does. It does have
0: it. When you talk about cancer, it's it's an odd thing to focus on, but it does make River seem less like a kid, right? You dealt with some serious challenge yeah but what else you got if you're not a kid then what else you got
1: sure absolutely that's the question we don't know what we're comparing this to right like if you did this while you were finishing your undergrad then i like that story a lot better but if you're 25 and you did this while you were studying for the lsat but you also had like a job and you have professional experiences i would be much more interested in the professional experiences and even for the college kid if you were the president of your fraternity, or if you did some amazing research for, with a professor, or it, I would even rather hear about your part-time job, honestly, than that, because I, I just it feels like it's so obstacle-focused.
0: She continues, I just wanted to know your thoughts on this, and if I do include a mention of cancer in my application, your thoughts on how I should include it. P.S. The type of thyroid cancer I had is almost always no big deal. The possible complications are rare and not that severe. And the surgery was extremely easy. I don't intend to lump myself in with other people diagnosed with cancer. Pretty much everyone else has had it worse than I did. Thanks. I I mean, that's even just like another reason to let this go. Focus yeah.
1: on <laughs> Because otherwise, moving if forward. You- all right. Yeah. So if you disclose, oh, this was thyroid cancer, it was no big deal. Then people are going to go, oh, so it was thyroid cancer, it's no big deal. Why are you taking up valuable real estate on your personal statement telling me about this? Or <laughs> you don't mention that it was thyroid cancer and it was no big deal, in which case you're just lumping yourself in with all these other people with cancer, which that's a choice you could make. But it doesn't sound like you want to make that choice. So I. Yeah, I don't know. I would just think about what people... Ben, don't you find this pretty frequently, right? People are like, well, they, they only want to talk about one option. So do so. should I write about this? Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't know. What else you got?
0: That's just a general like life challenge too, right? We've talked about this on the show. There's a name for it. It's called Tunneling. So it's like, should I write about this or not? And then it's like, well, not doing it sounds like nothing and usually something is better than nothing so it's kind of like this bias towards saying yes but the reality is i don't know what your alternatives are
1: you should have at least three alternatives yeah come up with some other ideas and and see what you got there maybe draft draft your personal statement a few ways i suppose the cancer thing could come in on some sort of an addendum. Although, what would you be even acknowledging? Why would you be telling them you had cancer? Unless you're acknowledged, unless it's some bad, you know, if you had a couple semesters off or something or a semester off of school, then maybe you could put the cancer thing in there. But like, yeah, what are you going to say? Like, oh, by the
0: way, I had cancer and still got a 170 something. Cool. huh? Like, it just sounds, yeah. sounds weird at that point. Yeah. Like, you're trying to brag.
1: All right. <laughs> Next one uh, is from Anonymous. After some false starts early in the year, I started seriously studying for the LSAT at the beginning of April. My diagnostic was a 148 and my most recent prep test was a 173. Damn. 25 points. Okay, I have a long way to go to get that score consistent. But I never thought. I would see a score in the 170s. That seemed like an unattainable goal when I began. LG was by far my best section to start, and everyone always says that LR and RC are way harder than LG to improve. Harder does not mean impossible, though. I have two questions for you today. First, how do you structure studying once you're near perfect or actually perfect on certain sections? My LG is perfect, and my LR is in the minus 2 to minus 3 range. Reading comp, though, is consistently minus six, so I have the most gains to make there. I haven't focused any time on RC yet, so I want to put my time there, but I'm terrified of losing my progress on LR. I'm sure it's irrational, but I worked hard to get where I'm at with LR. I have a 10-month-old baby, so my daily study time is limited. I don't have enough time to focus on multiple sections a day. Is it best to dedicate most of my time to RC at this point and then just have a day or two in my week dedicated to drilling LR and LG to keep those skills fresh? Second, I am a commercial fisherman. I have taken a huge step back from the industry since having a baby, but I'm going out on the boat for about a week in mid-July. I'll be living on the boat, working 24-7, and dead tired. Will taking this week off of studying drastically affect my score? I was thinking of buying a physical book of tests so that I can do a question here or there, but I know that I'll be exhausted and probably have no time anyways. Unfortunately, I can't really turn down making 5,000 plus in a week on the boat. I'm signed up for August and September, so I am scared of losing my momentum ahead of those tests. I appreciate any advice you can offer from anonymous. You feel the stress just. Yeah. Yeah. Anonymous
0: you're going to be just fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't study on the boat. That sounds like a
0: nightmarish place to study. When it comes to reading comp, yeah, you should turn your focus to it, but don't stop doing LR and LG. Just do them less. So maybe twice a week you do some logical reasoning and re- and games. And I don't care that you don't do logical reasoning or games on a given day. You don't have time because you have a baby. Do reading comp that day. Do LR the next day. It just like you're overthinking what's going to happen. You are not going to regress the way you
1: think you are. Broadly, just stop trying to control everything so much. Um, You're searching for consistency is not really the right thing to search for. You're Mm -hmm. always going to have randomness until you're perfect. Like you might get perfectly z- minus zero on games, and eventually you might get perfectly minus zero on LR. But as far as this, like I'm looking for consistency at 173, you're not going to ever have consistency at 173. That's always going to be a 167 through a 180. You know, I want to point something out there. The variance actually
0: never goes away, even when you get perfect. It's just that you don't see the variance anymore because. You're you're so much better than perfection that even on right. your off days you're still perfect. At least even your bad days are the... still
1: 180. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, I should I should make that point that even when you do squish up against the end of the scale, mm-hmm. yeah, the bell curve of your scores will look squished, but the bell curve of your of your ability performance and your days yeah. is still is still centered around you know 180 or even above 180. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah, variance is your friend, man. Law schools only care about your highest score. So, it's, you know, yeah, ideally you'd get to minus 0 on every section. That would be great, but that's the only student who's ever going to be consistent score-wise. And everybody else is always going to have ups and downs. So, when you come back off the boat, you could be right where you were at, you could be a little bit higher, you could be a little bit lower. That's because variance just is a thing. As far as how to structure your limited study time, most of our students are student are, you know, they're either students or full-time employees or some combination of work and school. And, um, so you're not alone in that. I mean, you know, a 10, 10 month old is a special challenge, of course, but that's not unique either. Check out, if you can find it, you can probably just Google it. My blog post called one hour LSAT. I taught a class on LSAT demon called one hour LSAT. And there's a public blog post called one hour LSAT that gives you maybe an idea of how to structure your time when you, when you just have an hour, But it's Mm -hmm. basically like, hey, do a mix of all three sections. Do more of the stuff you're the worst at. Yep. It's not rocket science. And it's okay if you do all reading comp one day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I think that's only sensible. Like you're not going to be doing a mix every day. Yeah. You're going to do a mix from day to day. You know, LR today, RC tomorrow, games the day after that. It's not. And then Whatever. if you want to do Just, more
0: RC, go back to RC. So you like
1: kind of have a little bias toward RC, but yeah, you're still shaking it up. Just don't take like, you know, if you're studying, don't take two weeks of not doing a certain area. I would never do that. No, no. If you're studying, mix it up day to day today. But yep. yeah, take a week off by all means. Jeez, try to get some sleep on the damn boat. Anonymous, you use two words in here
0: that I want to... Talk about, you said you're terrified and you're scared. Mm. I You are going to be just fine. Just let go. Maybe you need to take up meditation. It will take 10 minutes of your day, but it might radically change how you feel about this test and other things.
1: (laughs) If you're going to be terrified or scared of anything, you should be terrified or scared of dying on that boat or being maimed. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, like that's actually scary shit. The mm-hmm. LSAT is a fun, easy game for you. You're you're scoring already in the 170s. Mm-hmm. You understand the test. You know how easy the questions are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you you need to just decide. Yeah, yeah, it's the LSAT. It's I'm gonna put it in its little box. And when I go play that game, I go play that game. But you shouldn't be, yeah, boy, being terrified of it is not the way to go.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for writing in and good luck. Let us Give us an update maybe when you get your uh, final score. Yeah. We have the next one here from James. Uh, James says, greetings. Thanks for providing a great tool and an enjoyable podcast. I have been preparing with LSAT Demon Premium for about two months and I am making measurable progress from a 154 diagnostic in early May to practice tests now in the low to mid 160s. My target score is high 160s. Um by the way you had a high diagnostic with 154 I would shoot for higher than the high 160s. Yeah. Which I hope to achieve for application this fall. Unfortunately I was lo- an, a lousy undergraduate student and have an LSAT GPA or LSAC GPA of 3.0. Law would be my second career. I turned 40 in 2023. Notionly, notionly, what does notionally notionally
1: was that Notionally, I don't understand that word. People shouldn't use words that are going to make Ben Olson stumble. Um, You know, Ben's a—he's not a good reader out loud, but he is a good (laughs) reader of words. (laughs) He has a good—he has a good vocabulary. Um, He's going to look up notionally and tell us what it means. Okay. Theoretical.
0: Yeah. Speculative. Theoretically,
1: it means theoretically.
0: Okay. Theoretically, during one L. Okay. I am looking at schools in MA, so merger, mergers and acquisitions, presumably. No, for Massachusetts. Fa- oh, Massachusetts. <laughs> okay. I'm just jumping the gun here. I'm looking for schools in Massachusetts for family reasons and find su- su- suffix second year accredi- accelerated JD particularly appealing. Two year. What did I say? Second year. Jeez Louise. I know many lawyers and am familiar with the work they do. I can see myself doing that work. I have two motivations for a career change. One, forward slash, reduce travel away from home. Current job is 70% travel. Two, forward slash, <laughs> work with my father, who is principal of a well-established small firm. My goal is to create a more stable and enjoyable life for my family and eventually assume dad's practice when he chooses to retire. My father is in his late 60s, so this is a fleeting opportunity towards the end of his working years. This course of action would require me to walk away from a successful career in defense, move to a higher cost of living area, and subsist on minimal income until employed as an attorney. A compelling factor, dash. Complicating. Oh, sorry. A complicating factor. I have two children with two more on the way. I like your advice to avoid paying for school, but the living expense for a family of six in greater Boston in the greater Boston area concerns me more than tuition. So my really? question is this: Yeah, to, hmm. no, tuition's more. Would you make the change? Would you leave a stable if? family unfriendly career and cash in your life savings to attend law school? Or would you stay on the financially secure track knowing it may cost you regular presence in your children's lives? Okay. So (laughs) James continues, by the way, not sure if this matters, but I presently earn 220,000 per year plus benefits and retirement. I estimate similar earnings possible at the firm following two to three years work as an attorney.
1: You know, it's this is a this is one of those like it's like binary, right? It's like either it's all or nothing. Yep. I don't like this particular plan. I, I don't where I don't know where James lives now. I don't know why he thinks he has to go to Boston. He I don't I don't get I mean, for family reasons, he's looking at schools in Massachusetts, but he doesn't right now live in Massachusetts, apparently for family reasons. Or he lives outside the Boston area. I mean, his dad's firm must be in Boston, right? I guess. guess He has to go there. I guess. I mean, man, what if dad decides to work till he's 85? What if prospects for the firm decline? Yeah, most lawyers don't make anything close to $220,000 a year. Well, what about what if if we uh,
0: chart a different path? So you're... You're gonna do this two year program and that means you have to cut ties with your old career, right? Can you, your career already sounds like it's very time consuming, which I hate. I think time is your most valuable asset. It sucks that apparently you have to spend 70% of your time traveling um, and you wanna be with your family. I'm just wondering though, like what about a part-time program? Like you can,
1: totally open
0: up this pro you can open up this path by pursuing law school part-time. And if it ends up not working out, you're still, you know, in
1: your old career. Totally. A part that when you're, if your current job is 70% travel, that's a lot of time for reading. Law school is mostly reading. So you do a part-time JD somewhere close to home. When you're on the road, it doesn't matter because your part time j d is part time. You use all this ridiculous travel time airplanes and hotel rooms and airports and applebee's and you know you <laughs> do your studying <laughs> you do your <laughs> you do your studying while you're on the road, and you know. Yeah, I I like that plan. Yeah, it's weird. He wants to go accelerate it because he wants to get right into the JD. But if that's going to involve you moving somewhere with a family of six to somewhere that's way too expensive for you and your family. I don't know. And what if
0: you end up hating it? I mean, you seem like you have a dad who practices law. So I'd imagine, you know, more than most what you're getting into. But still,
1: um. This is a less, a, a lower risk path, right? You can always bail. Get a 170 something, by the way, and make sure you're going to law school for free. The last thing you want to do is cash in your savings. Mm. Are, you, are you kidding me? Cash in your life savings? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Don't touch that. In no circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> no. You, that's for. Well, I mean, that's for the circumstances where one of your kids has brain cancer or something Yeah, like that's not for that, that's not for fucking law school. Oh, my God. No. You make a good living. That's great. You've got some financial security for your family. That's great. If dad really wants you in the firm, then there should be lots of ways that you could transition into that. I would I would also want to know what that deal looks like with his dad. Like, I would want to know what that firm looks like. I would want to know how dad feels about this transition process. I, I would want that to be a sure fucking thing, like slam dunk. Mm-hmm. And that depends on what your relationship is like with your pops and whether he's going to actually be willing to let go of the firm. And I mean, that could be a win, right? When he retires, if he transfers it to you, wow,
0: you'd be the owner of a firm. Just take the whole firm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it could be huge, but yeah, I would take the lower risk path. I would only do that though. Even like that should be millions. If if he's like, he's going to transition into law after two or three years of work as an attorney and still only make $220,000 a year. Well, and he sounds a little unsure too. Right. And that sounds like kind of unlikely. I don't know, man. I, I would not let go of that job. Not until you're sure that this is going to transition you into more financial stability. Also, what about renegotiating things with your job? I mean, like, do you have to travel 70% of the time? Is that really required? You have to do these face-to-face meetings? Like, They like you enough that they're willing to pay you $220,000 a year. Surely, in 2022, there is some way to avoid 70% travel. What did you do during COVID? I mean, why can't, why can't you do more of that? Great question. What did you guys
0: do? <laughs> Thanks for writing in, James. Yep. If you have questions about the LSAT Demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. If you have questions for the show, email help at thinkinglsat.com. You can always check out our other podcast, LSAT Demon Daily. That was episode 357 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.